Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Calling All Detectives! Three men marked for death. Two have already died. Can the third be saved? That is the problem on this page from my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, Private Detective. The man in my office had gray hair and gray skin to match. His name was Arnold Warwick, and his problem was simple. Mr. Browning, I'm scared to death. Take it easy, Mr. Warwick. Whatever you're afraid of, it can't touch you here. Warwick sat down. You don't understand, Mr. Browning. Martin Cantrell is a demon. There's no other word for it. He's killed two of us already. He said he'd kill me, and somehow he'll find a way of doing it. I tried to look impressed. Whom did he kill, and why? Warwick didn't like the question. It uh, goes back a long way. Do we have to go into that? Yes, we do. If you want my help. It uh, took a while, but I finally got the story. Martin Cantrell was a chemist who discovered a new cheap way of extracting vital chemicals from seawater. He sold his patent to a syndicate composed of Warwick and two others. Not to put it too delicately, the three men had cheated Warwick, framed him on a charge of having misused corporation funds and had him sent to jail. He swore he'd get even with us as soon as he was released, and he did. John Mallard got the first death letter. He died three months later. Cantrell waited a year before sending the letter to Bruce Davies, but Bruce died of poisoning only two weeks later. Now it's my turn. Have you received a death letter? Warwick nodded. Cantrell waited over three years before sending it, but now it's here. Mr. Browning, you've got to find it. Tell him I'll make restitution, do anything, if he'll spare my life. A chemist who'd been falsely sent to jail killed two of the men who had framed him and sent a death threat to the third. I drove the terrified Warwick home, told him to stay indoors until further notice. Uh, Mr. Warwick, I'd like to see that death threat letter. The letter was written in a neat, precise hand and came right to the point. Two have died. You have no more chance to escape me than Joe Evold had. The letter was signed Cantrell in a bold hand. I turned to Warwick. Mr. Warwick, you told me the other two men were named Maller and Davies. What's his reference to Joe Evold? Warwick smiled nervously. I checked into that. Cantrell was always a great reader of crime news. That was his hobby. Joe Evold was a gangster, killed a policeman, was cornered and shot to death in St. Louis. I shrugged. Okay. I'll take this letter, Mr. Warwick, and try to locate Cantrell. Tell him I'll pay the money back if you leave me alone. I don't have much sympathy for you, Mr. Warwick, but I have none for a murderer. Tracing a man who's been in hiding for over four years isn't the world's easiest job. It was no trick to locate his wife and children. They lived in a small town just outside of the city. She supported the children by working in a dime store, assured me she hadn't seen her husband since he was released from prison. I believe that, since the police had her under almost constant watch since the first murder four years ago. It was a cold trail, and I didn't have much hope of succeeding where an entire police department had failed. Still, I tried. Did a man by the name of Martin Cantrell work here? Sure, four years ago, for two weeks. 
Are you another one of those cops looking for him? Yeah, I guess I am. Never mind. It happened that same night. A flash from police headquarters that Arnold Warwick was dead. Lieutenant Dawson of Homicide stopped giving instructions long enough to tell me the details. We found him in the living room, Jerry. Not a mark on him, but just look at his face. I looked and saw a face still contorted in terror. Cantrell said he'd get him. I guess he did. Warwick was right. The man must be a demon. He won't get away. I've got every road and every station blocked. Sooner or later, he'll show himself and we'll get him. Just like they got Joe Evald, eh? Dawson stared at me. I don't know what you're talking about. Does it have anything to do with this case? I don't know. I guess not. Dawson was sure that Cantrell would show himself. But days passed and there was no sign of him. The newspapers gave the story a big play, especially after the autopsy reports could give no clue as to how Warwick died. The papers ran pictures of Cantrell and trotted out all the old yarns about mysterious poisons that leave no traces in the body. But even all the publicity didn't help reveal Cantrell's hiding place. Jerry, I don't get it. Man has no money. He's got to eat and have a place to sleep and he can't get either without working someplace. So where can he be? I don't know, Dawson. Unless his wife is hiding him out. Dawson shook his head. She's got a tiny three-room flat above a store. No place in it to hide. He's not with his family, I guarantee that. Looks to me like he's clean vanished off the face of the earth. Dawson, maybe he did just that. I went on back to my office. Got out the letter Cantrell had sent Warwick. Read it over again for maybe the 50th time. You have no more chance to escape me than Joe Evald had. Strange comparison for a man to make. Even one who made a hobby of crime news. Why Joe Evald? Why not any of three or four big crime stories that had made the papers in recent months? Why did Cantrell pick a name that not even a police lieutenant recognized? On a hunch, I went to the file room of the evening courier. I found the Joe Evald story after a while, hidden on page three in the issue of August 18, one year ago. No wonder the name meant nothing to Dawson, but it meant a lot to me. 